this is the fourth in our series about our house, the church, and the things that the church represents. And we're going to be primarily focusing on body ministry today as we go forward. So we'll let the volunteers and the kids get to where they're going to be. And we're going to start with a picture of Lucy and Linus, because it doesn't get much more spiritual than that. <laughs> Linus is sitting in his room. This, this picture could be in my house with me and my wife. Linus is sitting in the room and he's watching TV, his favorite program. In this case, that would be Cindy. And Lucy comes in and says, turn the channel, I want to watch, fill in the blank. That might be me. (laughs) Nobody asked you. (laughs) And Linus says, what gives you the right to come in here and take control and tell me what to do? That would be Cindy. (laughs) And she holds up and says, I can give you five reasons. (laughs) Now, individually, these five figures don't mean much. They can't do much damage. But when I take those five fingers and I make them become a unit, (laughs) these five fingers become a terrible weapon. And Linus says, what channel do you want to watch? (laughs) And then he turns and walks away and he looks at his five fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? (laughs) That's a picture of way too many churches. A church in unity. A church with everybody working and doing the work of the ministry. Unity by spirit. Goal, vision, having a mission being passionate about what God's calling us to, can come together and we can be that terrible weapon against the kingdom of darkness. That is the goal. And as we've been going through this four-week series about our house, meaning victory, not necessarily the worldwide church, but this church, this place where God has us gather. The first week we talked about the commission, which is to all churches. We're to go and make disciples. But one of the things that we really stressed when it comes to evangelism, going and making disciples, the motivation to do that is what's really important. Because there's many reasons we can give for not doing it and being afraid, etc., etc., etc. But if we have a love for God and a love for His people, that will motivate us to overcome all those restraints or fears that we might have. That's one thing. If somebody asks you about Victory Church, what's that Victory Church all about? These are the four things you can tell them. We're about these things. This is, this is what we want to see happening. Second week was we are called to community, unity. We are called to unity. And if you remember, we started out talking about, in light of all the things, all the things that God has done in our lives, the only reasonable response should be to walk worthy of the calling that he has on us doing all that we can, being diligent, striving to make make unity a priority in this house. Unity. 
Because where there is a unity and a sense of unity, it creates a freedom and it creates a security. And it allows us to be transparent and it allows us to be vulnerable before one another. You know, when we have guest speakers come in, by the time we get through the praise and worship music and people have come forward for prayer, they're already going, churches don't do that. I've been asked so many times, how did you guys start doing that? Why did you start doing that? I said, I don't even remember. I think it was just kind of organic. It just happened. I don't know. We've been doing it as long as I can remember. Are you going to change? I said, why? We want people to feel safe. Now, the Holy Spirit can be prompting you. Man, fear comes up. Everybody's going to be looking at me, looking at staring at me. We want you to know this is a safe place. There isn't a safe. Look at your neighbors. They aren't perfect. They carry garbage. Look up front. Prime example, we have stuff. Everybody does. But we're the body of Christ called to minister life to one another. And where there's unity, this sense of community. When I say family of victory, I mean the family of victory. It's a safe thing. And then a couple of weeks ago, Matt shared about the two greatest commandments. You know, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love people to love your neighbor as yourself. And I thought one of the points that struck me so strongly was to love your neighbor as yourself meant you first had to love yourself, right? We need to believe who we are in God's eyes and what he declares us to be and how much he loves us because until we can truly receive the agape love of the Father, we're not the conduit to let it flow through us. And that's what we want to see happening because quite frankly in our flesh, I can't love unconditionally very well. My love can become conditional quickly. But if it's the love of the Father and we can receive his love, then we can love others the way he loves us. And this week, we're talking about the church, the body of Christ. We're the church. So many people, we come from our religious backgrounds. When somebody says church, we all think of a a building with a steeple and maybe a bell. It's not a building, right? It's not a building. We're the church, the body of Christ. And it extends beyond this group here to all believers any place on planet Earth. That's the church. But we're focusing on this body of believers, the church that we call the Victory Family. And that brings me to the title of my sermon is simply, there should be zero unemployment in the church. Zero unemployment. And that, 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 what that means is, you know, a lot of people when they're unemployed, they just sit around home on their butt doing nothing. So that should never happen in a church. If your idea of being part of a church is coming to Sunday morning and sitting on your, can you say butt in church? All right. Sitting on your butt and doing nothing, you're missing the point. We are called to be the body of Christ doing the work of the ministry. And that's what we're looking at today. And why do I think that's so important? Because that's God's plan for the church. That's His biblical plan for His church. And if that's God's plan, the biblical plan for the church, it better be our plan for the church. Do we do it perfectly? Uh, No, of course we don't. Of course we don't. But we know that that needs to be a goal where effort should be directed. So this is where we want to be. Zero unemployment. 
for the church. There's an interesting scripture, and I'm just going to use this, some of these scriptures to kind of just reinforce the points, not really going to dig into the scriptures deep. But in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, basically, Paul's writing the letter, but he starts out with Paul and Timothy, meaning this letter's coming from both of us. But notice who he is sending the letter to. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints. Now, whether you understand this or not, that's you and me. You and I are saints. Don't you love that? I am a saint. I've been told otherwise, but God's opinion matters. You're a saint. That, you know, we've got this religious thing can creep into our mind again that there are certain people, there are only certain people, they're really special people. Their lives had to go through a real serious examination. We better find three or four miracles that there's witnesses to, and maybe then we can vote and make them a saint. Baloney. You and I are saints. So Paul is saying, I'm sending this letter to all of you, the saints. And as a part of the group, if you would, a subgroup of the saints in the church in Philippi, there are leaders. Here he calls them overseers and deacons. Call them what you want. He says, within that subgroup, there are leaders. But we are all the servants. We are all the saints of God. And when we're doing the work of the ministry, it's really helpful if we have tasks to do that may or, not be, may or may not be specifically assigned by other men. It would be good if we had the authority to do it. And then we had the power to carry it out. Amen? Does that make good sense? Okay, I've got a calling. God, what task do you want me to do? Do I have the authority to do that? And do I have the power to see it accomplished? Well, God takes care of that for us by His Spirit. There's a scripture in Ephesians 4 that we're familiar with, and it's really interesting because if you missed adult Bible class, Bob is talking about gifts of the Spirit right now. And in Ephesians 4.11, it talks about, but you know what? A lot of people call these gifts of the Spirit. They're not gifts of the Holy Spirit explicitly. We could always say that because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. But these are gifts from Jesus given to the church when Jesus is leaving. He says, I'm going to go away. But this church needs some gifts. He says, I'm going to give you apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers and pastors. And I'm giving it to the church as a gift, but they have a job to do. Their, their primary job is to build up, train, encourage, mentor, teach, release, empower the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. And in some places you say, well, that was for then. It was apostles and prophets especially. They, they got to go. Let's just remove them from that scripture. But if you notice, it says, how long are they going to be around to do this? Until we all reach the unity and of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you, but... The Holy Spirit's at work, but he's got some more work to do in Mike to make him truly look like the image of Christ. And I don't believe any of us are going to be fully transformed in the image of Christ practically. I'm not talking spiritually or positionally. I'm talking practically until Jesus comes back. So the church needs all of these functioning. And I might add, really, I believe God's goal is for all of them to be within the local church. 
It shouldn't be I have to get on the phone to call somebody and ask for, we need some apostolic counsel and advice. We have that in the church. There's nothing wrong with bringing in men who are, are prophets of God, but we would like to see them raised up and released in the local church. So they're here all the time. Same with evangelists. You know, that we have got that traveling evangelist. Well, I'm glad, and one of the reasons they have to be traveling evangelists, people don't release them in the local church. Teachers and pastors. So God says, I'm going to give these to you to train you, us all, as the body of Christ, to do the work of the ministry. And Jesus uses a small parable found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, to kind of make a point that I think is so relevant. When Jesus used these simple parables, he used something that the people would understand easily to make a spiritual point. What Jesus is really talking about here is, uh, I'm leaving, you're staying, and i got something for you to do, and I'm coming back. Well, what's it say here in the Gospel of Mark, starting at verse 34? It's like a man on a journey. Jesus. And it says, Who upon leaving his house, putting his slaves or servants in charge. Authority. Jesus said, I'm going away on a trip, and I'm giving you an authority. Assigning to each one a task. I'm giving you an authority to do what I've called you to do. Your task may be different from every single one of us to the other if we start comparing. And we can't do that. We're responsible for our task. Our task. And he's given us authority to do this. And then in verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it tells us about being good stewards. What's it mean to be a good steward? Take care of it. Handle it rightly. Use it optimally. He says, you need to be good stewards. It says, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Bob stressed that this morning. We need to get that. The gifts are given to serve the body of Christ, to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms. Faithfully administering, stewarding. And notice they're gifts of grace, right? Gifts of grace. God just decides that He's going to give them to us to serve others, to build up the body of Christ, and to do the work of the ministry. God calls us all, all of us, to do the work of the ministry. And He wants to not only give us an authority, He wants to empower us to do the work of the ministry. And this is where the Holy Spirit and the gifts really come into play. The spiritual gifts given to us are given not to make us look good or not even made to make us feel good. They're given to us so the work that God has called us to gets accomplished by His church until He comes back. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6, it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. And... and there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. There are different types of service. There's different types of ministries, right? Service, ministries. There's different ministries, and they're all going to need a different gift. Primary gift. 
and I, I would go so far as to say, I believe everybody in here has got a number of gifts. One, two, three of them may be your primary gifts given to you by God, but we got a lot of gifts. Matter of fact, I think I'm going to say this just kind of because it, it's selfish. I believe you all got the gift of serving. It's a spiritual gift. And some of you, it's amazing to watch it in action. You just can't not serve. It's amazing. Amazing gift. But they show up differently. You know, take, take on a program like our Awana program. Somebody's got to organize all of that that takes place. And if you've never been to one of the Awanas, you should just pop in for a few minutes and see what's taking place and wonder, how in the world does this all get pulled off every week? Well, somebody's got an administrative gift, probably a teaching gift alongside it, organizing things, putting it together. And then we see all of a sudden there's teaching taking place. Hmm, teaching gifts, operating. And then when you watch it takes place, it's like, holy moly, look at all the people serving. But even then, you'll see the serving gift manifest in so many different ways. Right? You'll see people serving with the snacks. You'll see people serving with the games. You'll see serving when some little kid falls down and scrapes their knee. You'll see it manifesting in so many different ways. The gifts that are given, different workings, different service, different ministries. Somebody cleans up afterwards. Thank you for doing that. Another gift of serving. There are so many things. And on all the gifts, they can work out differently, be manifested differently. We need to remember two things for sure. Every gift is from God, and they're all to build up the body of Christ. And we are to steward them. In verse 7, it says, To each one is given a gift for the common good. For the common good. And if you would jump down to verse 11... And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now, I've often said, boy, I wish I had that gift or that gift. And sometimes I've even tried to function in that gift or that gift, and it's not worked very good. God gives them as he determines. If you go through and read the next couple of verses, verses 8 and 9, you're going to read about God gives to one a word of wisdom. Gives another a word of knowledge. Gives another a gift of faith. That's supernatural faith. Gives another the gifts, plural, of healing. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the discerning of spirits. To another the gift of tongues. And to another interpretation of tongues. He gives them as he desires to build up the body of Christ. And then there is another set of gifts in Romans 12. Romans 12. In verses 6 through 8, it says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. We have different gifts. They're not all the same. According to the grace that comes from God, they're given to us. And they're given to us, and it's tied to faith. And if it's tied to grace, and if it's tied to faith, it's tied to God, the Father. And it says, If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in the proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others or giving, uh, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Gifts given to the church. Sometimes they're referred to, you know, people love to categorize everything. Sometimes these gifts are 
referred to as the motivational gifts. What gifts here motivate us to do something? And it's kind of crazy. If something happens, a whole bunch of us could be motivated to go and help that person. But the motivation could be totally different if we could look internally. Look at this picture. I don't know how well this is going to show up. I I hope it does. It's an example. A woman hurries across the church parking lot, her arms loaded with papers. She suddenly stumbles, and the papers go flying. Anyone would rush over to help her, but the motivation behind it, why, might be different for each one of us. And you look at that and you say, oh, here's an opportunity to tell her that God loves her. This is a great church. She obviously needs practical help, server. Bible teaches that we are to be servants, teacher. As you go through that, you can see we're all going to go do the same thing. We're all going to go help this person. But the internal motivation is one of those gifts that has been put in us by God. And you can see not only are there differences in gifts, there's differences in motivations and works and services behind those gifts. But it works when we all come together as the body of Christ and work together. The church needs all the gifts working, meaning we need all the body working to accomplish what God has called us to, to, God, to accomplish His purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 through 22, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, that's you and me, every one of them. He's put it together. He's brought you in. You know, it, it may seem strange that you, you searched a lot of churches or maybe you didn't or maybe it was the only church around and you, you decide, I'm going to go and you decide to stay. We would say, well, I made this decision, this decision, this decision. The reality is God draw you here and drew you here and put you in a place because he has a purpose. He has a task. He's given you authority to accomplish that task before he comes back. And he's given you gifts to do the job that he's called us to do. None of us are here by accident. None of us. Uh, Let's see, where was I? If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I love that statement. They're indispensable. We, as human beings, tend to look at different giftings as being better, bigger, more important, more prestigious. And and God is telling us those gifts that might look like that in the eyes of people are indispensable. Have another picture, a slide of a body that kind of demonstrates it for us. It's like we're all, all of us are a gear in that picture and all those gears need to be working properly. They need to be functioning. And if we remove one of those gears or stop one of those gears from doing what it's supposed to do, it affects more than just that person. Some of them can affect many parts of the body. But when they're all functioning together, working together, efficiency in the Spirit goes up. And the the purposes of God multiply. And we get the work done that He's called us to do in a much, much better way. Why do I say that and stress that so hard? Is because I know some of us sitting in here disqualify ourselves 
because we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we're not talented enough, we're not gifted enough. And we think that because somebody's told us that before and it influenced us in a way that it should never have influenced us. God's saying, you're indispensable. We need you. Don't, Don't sit there and do a bad job of stewarding the gift that God has put in you because the enemy has put you in a corner of fear or you've believed his lies. I'm going to give you just a couple examples where God uses people. You know, if, if the apostles were the only one, if the 12 were the only ones that got to do anything in the New Testament, boy, there'd be a lot of stuff lacking from the New Testament. God used a lot of people. And he used some of them even right in the, the face of the disciples sometimes. I just love that. The first one I want to look at is in Mark chapter 16, verse 17. He says, those signs, these signs will accompany those who believe. Wait a minute, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. No way I'm even going to try to do that. What if it doesn't work? I'd be so embarrassed. He just said, who? You're, or do you believe? Then you're qualified. And if he calls you to do it, he will empower you. And really, the only response is obedience. Steward it. But it didn't work the way I thought it would. That's not your job. Your job is to do what the Lord asks you to do. And usually, He will use your giftings and call you to do it via your giftings. And it goes on and talks about, we're familiar with this part of Scripture. Another one that I like even more, I think, is the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, if there's somebody who maybe deserved to be disqualified from a human point of view, it was the Samaritan woman at the well. She meets Jesus at the well. Or Jesus actually goes and searches her out at the well, quite honestly. This woman hasn't been real good at marriage. She's been divorced, married and divorced. Was it five times? Oh yeah, and you're living with the sixth guy, but you're not even married to him. Well, that would seem in our natural mind to be a disqualifier. But not in the mind of Christ. He decided to use this woman. What did he do? I'm going to read a couple verses from this John chapter 4. In verse 39, jumping towards the end first and then backing up. It says, from that city, many, many of the Samaritans, the enemies of the Jews, basically, many, many, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of this woman who testified. Now, wait a minute. God can't possibly use a woman who's been married five times living with somebody else in sin. Really? Verses 28, it says, this backing up now, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. She went back to the town and she declared. She spoke. She testified. And she said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. She was the the clarion who made the call. This man, I think he might be the Messiah. You've got to come and see him. Now, the Bible doesn't tell you this, so this is Mike speaking. But if I'm in the city and I hear this woman talking and I know her reputation... I'm probably going to just blow her off as nuts. Why would the Messiah bother even talking to you, for goodness sakes? I believe there was a power given to her by the Holy Spirit that did not come naturally. 
so that when she spoke, people heard. Speak, people listened. God used that Samaritan woman. Another one that I just, I get amazed easily, I know. Think about Paul's conversion. Here's the man who wrote so much of what we have in the New Testament Bible. Man, wouldn't you like to have been the one that the Lord used to get this guy kicked into action? I mean, gee, it's going to be Paul. I better not just send one of my 12. I better send four or five of my 12. This is a big deal. What did God do? He just picked a guy. He doesn't tell us why. He just picked a guy and says, Hey, Ananias, I got a job for you. Wait a minute, you got a task for me? Are you kidding me? Well, okay, that's pretty cool. What is it? I want you to go to Paul, the guy who's killing and persecuting everybody, and he's been blinded, and I've given him a dream, so he's really going to be expecting you. Thank you, Lord, for going before me. And you're going to go lay hands on him and pray for him, and the scales are going to fall from his eyes, and he's going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and holy smokes, he's going to be loosed. I'm just Ananias. I'm just a follower of Jesus. I'm just a believer. You can't possibly be serious. He used Ananias. He didn't pick Peter or John or any of the others. He just sent a guy. And he may send you and me. We never know what he's got in mind. Our job is to know what the task is, and the Holy Spirit will show us. And if you're called to do it, he's given us authority. He gave Ananias the authority. And obviously, a power was released that was not Ananias' flesh. That Paul, scales fall from his eyes. He can see. Praise for him, and he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the rest is history. Stephen and Philip, you remember the story probably? The disciples were having trouble doing all the work of the ministry. The church had been growing. Calvin, there's only 12 of us. And somebody comes in complaining and he says, all the work's not getting done. The widows aren't getting fed. we got a problem here. Well, we better quit doing what we're called to as the 12 apostles, disciples, and go do that. No, 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 no. There's way more people capable of doing that than you. Choose amongst yourselves. And he chosen. They chose. They called them deacons. Two of them were Stephen and Philip. Now, they were called deacons, but how many of you know they did way more work than just deacon? Philip is called an evangelist. Stephen testified before the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin. There's a whole chapter written about his testimony. And then he was martyred. And he says he looks into heaven and he sees Jesus standing, looking down on him. These were just deacons used mightily by God. He can use anybody. And the last one I want to share is found in Acts chapter 21. And it says this in verse 8. Leaving in the next day, we reached Caesarea, and they were staying at the house of Philip, the deacon, whoops, he's called an evangelist now. And he says, one of the seven, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now wait a minute, that can't possibly be biblical. 
women? Don't ever be under the covering of a husband? You're going to use by God to prophesy? Yes. Yes. And if you look at the prophecy way back in Joel, you'll see it's just being fulfilled. Do not eliminate yourself. Remove yourself. Belittle yourself. Your gifts, your callings. If God's given them to you, He's given them to us for a reason. It doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, whether we're male or female, it doesn't matter. It's good if you know what you are. I couldn't help it. It doesn't matter if He's called you, given authority, and empowered you to do the work of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he quotes from the prophet. He says, I will pour out my, my spirit on all people. All people. Guess what? You're part of all. I'm part of all. All people. We're to do the work of the ministry. There should be zero unemployment in the church. We should all be working in the church. You're called to ministry. We have an authority given to us by God. And we have been empowered by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that God has given us to serve and do the purposes that He's called us to. That's one of the things that I hope is identified with Victory Church. They are a church. It's just not a pastor. It's not just a paid staff. It's not just the elders that are doing the work of the ministry. It's the body of Christ, which we as leaders in the church are a part of and actually called to a higher level of service, not prestige. That's what biblical leadership looks like. If biblical leaders in a church aren't serving, I think they should be disqualified because the Bible's clear. And that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church that's focused on the Great Commission that we're going. We want to be a church that there is community, that there is unity, and we will fight for that unity no matter what the enemy tries to do. We are a church who wants to teach and demonstrate how much we love God and how much we love people, following those two commandments. And, of course, a church where we're all busy doing the work of the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you that you give us so much guidance in your word. When we're confused, we don't understand, we can go to your word and come to you in prayer. Father, I pray for each one of us here. God, I pray especially if there there might be some here that don't know what their gifts are. Lord, I pray you would prompt them to come and ask me, one of the leaders, or ask somebody around them who sees them operating and they don't even know that they're doing it. Father, I pray you would help us as a church to especially as the leaders, to train up this church, to empower this church, to release people into their giftings in greater and greater ways. God, we need your help. We don't do it well. We don't do it perfectly. But God, that's our desire. And I pray that you would help each and every one of us overcome the lies of the enemy by your spirit that we are somehow not good enough, not qualified. That we would see giftings released in the body of Christ that we may have never seen released before from those that you are choosing to use. Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw us into your word, that we would begin to understand even this all in greater and greater detail. Father, I thank you that you let us be a part of building your kingdom, advancing your kingdom. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your guidance. We need ears to hear, hearts to obey. 
God, we ask for grace to do all those things. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.